It's Wednesday, February 3rd. This is Jaguar's Happy Hour. And now, number 15 of 2021's World Axe-Throwing People to Watch, J.P. Shadrick. Welcome in. It's Wednesday, Jaguar's Happy Hour. J.P. Shadrick, John Osher, senior writer, Jaguars.com, and Bucky Brooks, NFL media analyst. And here we are in the offseason. We've got a lot to discuss this week. We've got coordinator hires, reported position coach hires to, to delve through all the reports. Nothing official as of the taping of this podcast. Some senior bowl standouts. Both you guys are in Mobile. Well, no, Bucky, you were in L.A., but we'll, we'll, we'll cover that in just a moment. The quarterback offseason carousel has already started around the league. And Super Bowl 55 is here. It is Super Bowl week. And the Chiefs are joining the COVID list because of haircuts. But we'll <laughs> get into that coming up. All right, uh, guys. Urban Meyer wanted an elite staff. And there are names popping out now. Reported names. Again, nothing official until the team announces it. But the reports are Daryl Bevel is the offensive coordinator. Brian Schottenheimer, the passing game coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Let's start there on offense, guys. This is where the focus will be in the offseason because of the quarterback situation, Bucky. So these really have to be right. No, they do have to be right. I, I think what's interesting, um, when you bring on Daryl Bevel, and I think it's important to lump in Brian Schottheimer, I think it's important for Jaguars fans to understand that both of these coordinators have had success working with young quarterbacks. If you go back and look at Daryl Bevel, obviously in Seattle with Russell Wilson and how this team – that team was able to get to the Super Bowl with a young quarterback who was playing more as a game manager early, who evolved into being a playmaker later in his career. If you go to the Jets, this name is going to make maybe some guys cringe, but Brian Schottenheimer was on that stuff, I think, when they had Mark Sanchez. And what they did with Mark Sanchez when they went to a couple of AFC championship games and those things. And so to me, what it signals is that Urban has a plan for how they're going to play early. I think it's going to be a run-heavy team that plays physically, and they're going to try and teach the quarterback to make sure they take care of the football. But if you do those things, you can win a lot of games. Yeah, JP, you can cringe all you want at the name Mark Sanchez, but you know I covered Colts teams uh, when Sanchez was young that lost to Mark Sanchez and the Jets when he was – I don't know if he was playing at a high level, but they were winning with it. So clearly uh, Schottenheimer knows what he's doing on that front. I thought it was interesting, the mix, meaning, you know, they can all do everything. But Bevel's a little bit more known for being a run guy, Schottenheimer more for being a pass guy, a good balance there. It certainly sounds like Schottenheimer will be, you know, quarterback coach slash passing game coordinator. doesn't sound like they're hiring a true quarterbacks coach. Uh, Schottenheimer is a guy – He's been around the league long enough where he certainly deserves more of a title than straight quarterbacks coach. If you're going to play that, I don't know that they care that much about titles, but it's, you know, all of the concern when urban was first hired was the whole college coach, college coach, college coach. Well, yeah, right. this is an experienced staff. Now, you know, I assume that he will be listening and telling these guys, Hey, tell me what I don't know. You guys are the NFL guys. He's got a lot of NFL experience to tell him what he doesn't know. 
you have a bunch of low ego guys. I can say this about having known Brian since he was younger. Obviously, I played for his dad, Marty, in Kansas City. He understands what winning looks like. And I think when you go all the way back and you put it all together, all of these coaches have come from winning programs and they've won at a high level. I would say Breville and Schottenheimer probably exposed their most winning in Seattle, but they understand what it looks like. And I think as Urban is kind of kind of feeling his way around the NFL game, they certainly can help him in that regard. But I don't think you can underestimate the amount of experience that they're going to have on that side of the ball. And also in that quarterback room, I think for a young quarterback who is bright or whatever, I think they will help him transition very, very quickly to being able to play right away. They've also got guys, JP, who have worked with each other. And uh, Bucky, you may know more detail about this than I do, but correct me if I'm wrong. Bevel, Schottenheimer, wide receivers coach have been together. They've been on staffs, bare minimum. They know each other. How important is that sort of knowledge, Bucky, when you're trying to put together a staff? Oh, I think I think it's very important because you want to make sure that everyone is speaking the same language. I think the one thing that is, is really clear, especially if you have a young team, because remember, the Jags are very, very young. You don't want mixed messages in different position rooms. You don't want one person saying one thing and we're going to call it this way and another person saying something else and it's termed a different way. You want everyone to be on the same page. And I will give credit um, to Urban for putting together a staff where every there, there's a level of synergy for, from everybody. We're talking about the offensive side of the ball, but even on defense, there's a level of compatibility and everyone kind of understands it. I think early on when you're dealing with young guys, you want the coaches to be able to stand in the front of the room very confidently and do the teaching so that everybody understands it and you don't have any gray areas or, or vagueness to what is being asked and installed. I had one more question for uh, Bucky, JP, if yeah. I could uh, go. Yeah. Um, you know, we follow teams. JP and I follow the league, but most of our studying is about the Jaguars. So I know Bevel, uh, I don't know him personally, Schottenheimer, I haven't talked to him since I was covering him at the University of Florida. When he first transferred there, I did a story on it, which makes me old and, you know, <laughs> frankly, him old, too. But um, define what Bevel's going to bring in terms of everybody associates him with Seahawks offense. You know, but what would you say that he's bringing to the table that Urban loves? You know, here's the thing. Like now everything is so blended. I would say both of these guys know West Coast offense and some way, shape, or form. They've kind of moved away from that as they've, as they've gotten more experience in the National Football League. They know the running game, and they understand how to marry the run game with the pass game, which is very, very important because for the defense, you want it all to look alike. I think their experience with young quarterbacks, they understand how to take some of the pressure off of the quarterback in terms of how they call the game. The, the thing that would be interesting as we get closer to it, if we ever get privy to – the play calls in the verbiage. In the past, I know Schottenheimer and Belva like their play calls could be very verbose. And you just wonder, have they evolved to the point where they've been able to cut some of that down so guys can play fast and free without having to learn all of the extra stuff that each and every term signifies when you use it in a play call. Kind of like the old John Gruden with uh <laughs> no yeah. not quite <laughs> hopefully hopefully not. Hopefully they learn how to scale it back because the key to getting the young guys to play fast is so they can just understand it, they can get it and they can go. And with so many young players, it's different when you have a veteran 
skill set, skill set of players or a veteran offensive line and then a young quarterback. That's one thing. But everybody's young. Like they all are babies and newbies. So you just want to make sure that everyone can understand this so they can hit the ground running when they do take take the field. All right, let's flip to the defensive side now. Joe Cullen is reportedly the defensive coordinator and a former defensive line coach here in Jacksonville. His last year was 2012, my first season here. Uh, John, I think your second season back here. You could hear him a mile away. He's got a distinctive approach and voice, and he's been a D-line coach ever since then, before then, obviously, in the NFL. This is his first go-round as a coordinator, and, and John, it, it's good to see him back around in this environment, and I'm curious how that will translate to the front of the defensive room for the first time, John. Well, it's, uh, you know, I have no doubt, and I'm not in, I'm not in meetings. Everybody knows I didn't play the game. But if, if you're around coaches, you get a feel for guys who are going to be comfortable in front of the room. Look, the only reason Joe Cullen hasn't been a coordinator already is the off-field stuff, which everybody who follows this knows. He's more than qualified. This chance to be a coordinator is long overdue for him. I have no doubt that he can get in a room. You know, I know from football people that I talk to, from guys who can watch tape and study X's and O's, he is in a, an above good elite pass rushing coach. What I care about with a coach, are his guys going to respond to him? Are they going to buy in? If you've met Joe Cullen once, you know players are going to love playing for him, absolutely love playing for him, but it's not like he's soft on him, JP. This is a guy who was built to be a coach. He can be tough on guys. Players love him. Players are fiercely loyal to this man. I have no doubt he can uh, coach pass rush. He's going to have his eye on that part of it. But to me, you know, I would be stunned if Joe Cullen is not a high-end level uh, defensive coordinator. This guy was born for this job, and it's overdue. What do you think, Bucky? No, John, I, I think John brings up great points in terms of the leadership ability coming from Baltimore. They're going to have all the tricks and gadgets up front to really be able to attack pass protection, stop the run and do those things. I think everyone who has come out of that Baltimore system understands how to really trick the offense against the run and the pass. The most important person on this defensive staff will be whoever's responsible for the secondary. I know it's been reported that Chris Ash may come. Mm -hmm. Typically, defensive coordinators come from either linebacker spots or secondary spots because they look at the game from back to front. And because the NFL is, is a pass-heavy game, you have to be able to make sure that you have coverage. And so because, um, as John alluded to, he is, Joe Cullen is going to be so focused on the front, someone has to make sure that they're able to tie in the back end, the coverage to fit what his imagination is dreaming up for what they want to do with the front seven. And so the secondary coach, if they hire an additional cornerbacks coach, they have to be great teachers and they also have to be great tacticians because they have to sit in the room when the coaches are getting together and make sure that it all marries and that it's sound because, you know, the play callers on the other side of the field are also great when it comes to the X's and O's. Yeah. And that's the other trick too. Once, they get into the personnel side of this thing. It's not like there's a lot of experience back there that's going to be back. I mean, uh, Henderson's in his second year, didn't play much. Who knows about DJ Hayden, the safeties, uh, I mean, what they had 11 different lineups in the secondary last year. 
you know, that's you don't know what's going to be out there to work with. No, that that's that that's why it's going to be really, really interesting, because when Urban Meyer was at Ohio State and I know the game isn't the same in terms of college to the pro. But one of the things that they wanted to do is they evolved from being a team that played man to man all the time where they were playing like quarters cover four we'll hear talked about where your corners are pressed and they're kind of locked up on their guy and then the safeties are hovering around nine to ten yards from the the box to being more of a cover three team a vision and break team meaning if you can envision what the Indianapolis Colts did where they played zone eyes were on the quarterback athletic players reacting to the vision of the quarterback and making quick reactions that's what they evolved to which version of coverage and defense will we see with this young team? In my mind, because they're so young, it has to be something that's fairly easy for them to digest. And you can kind of trick it up with your pre-snap disguises, but you want the scheme to be very, very easy for them to understand so they can play fast. Yeah. I wonder JP and Bucky, you know, I don't know how these guys will look at it because we really haven't talked to very many people to set to know what they think about personnel and they're not even into personnel yet, no, they're not. but CJ Henderson, you would think is a starter beyond that in the secondary, you know, I, I'm not saying the guys who are here now can't start, but I don't think there's anybody who's a lock to be a starter in this secondary, perhaps CJ Henderson, although he played what six, seven games, JP. Yeah. You assume he's a lock because of draft position. You assume he's a lock because of talent. Uh, beyond that, you know, I, I think all bets are off back there. So I agree with Bucky. Whoever's coaching those guys, the ability to mesh what the rest of the defense is doing, but the ability to make sure these guys can play and come in because you're going to be dealing with – I would assume you would sign at least one guy back there. I, I'd be surprised if there's not a safety, veteran safety signed. But it's all going to be new. There's not going to be any cohesion with this bunch, you wouldn't think. So it's uh, – that area to me, they've got two areas to build, defensive tackle and maybe the entire secondary. Yeah, now the good thing in, in this year's draft, like there are a number of young cornerbacks and, and stuff that you can find. But in looking, I was I was looking up some notes that I had on Chris Ash. Like I would anticipate you can see a lot of man-to-man in the back end, some form of it. Like we can think about quarters and those things because the Baltimore Ravens did a lot of that um, kind of stuff with the players that they had. Marlon Humphrey was pressed up a lot. You would see Marcus Peters play off, but it was a lot of man-to-man coverage. And so that means you have to really be committed to getting A-level athletes. There are some who would tell you that man-to-man is probably the easiest thing to teach because it's a cat defense. You got that cat, and wherever he goes, you follow him. Run. And so then it's a matter of, 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 of kind of understanding how to handle the picks and those things. The New England Patriots have done it for years, and they've done it with – lesser athletes because that's what they do they live in it and so when you think about urban meyer and those relationships he may want to put in something that's pretty simple to install and you just really work on getting better through repetition and trying to bring in a level athletes to play in those respective positions outside is it easier bucky to quote play fast in man when you're a kid um i think so and i think it's easy to play fast in man because Here's the thing. Um, when you play man to man, it can take a toll on your legs because every day in practice, you're running around, you're chasing the GPS is going to go bananas because <laughs> you, you just you just run in a track meet every day. But when you have young, fresh legs, you can do that. And when you play man to man, what you do is you eliminate some of the easy throws that we see 
teams living with some of the bubble screens, some of the RPO stuff. It, it, it takes that part away. And so if you can get another player, so you have CJ Henderson on one side, you go and get another man to man corner, whether that's a veteran or a young guy, you put those guys in. And normally when you try and play this style, your two best players are your cornerbacks. And then you build other nine guys after that. And so that's what urban did at Ohio state. That's what he did at Florida. It's always worked for him of later those big profile things. I think he certainly would want to see if he can do that initially in Jacksonville. And then if they have to change, they change. But I think that's probably the mindset coming into it. You can get corners this year at 25 and 33, right? But yeah, you can get corners. And the thing would be, um, do you want long corners, rangy corners? What style corner do you want? But you absolutely can get those guys. I mean, 25, 33, they're going to have their pick. So it's a good time to do it. And we kind of have to be able to live with some of the growing pains early when you have a bunch of young guys on the field because they're going to make their mistakes. But as Urban said, if I can make it where they're playing with relentless effort and they're playing fast, they can overcome some of their mistakes with their effort. All right, it's Jaguars happy hour on a Wednesday. J.P. Shadrick, Bucky Brooks, John Osier. Uh, by the way, should we keep this named happy hour? I think this thing aired at 8 a.m., <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> it's happy long, hour somewhere. It's a long it's, day. It's, it's, it's happy hour somewhere what, in the world. You know? <laughs> right. What, uh, what should we name this, John? You got any ideas? Well, I'm not very happy, so it, it, uh, <laughs> I've always struggled with the name to start with. Um, I uh, hadn't thought about it a whole lot. It's uh, it's really an opportunity. I think we should lean on Bucky's expertise. I think Mm. we should play something off that name. Yeah. I mean, he is the guy. He's the star of the show. Star. I don't. I don't know. We can't use move the sticks because that's already his brand. No. I kind of. I kind of feel like the sticks. No. no, I kind of feel like. I kind of feel like we're 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 in a huddle. How about behind the sticks? In a huddle. Behind the chains. No, no, we don't want to do that. No, we don't we do did that. it all last year. We did it all last year. We We're don't want to be behind that. the chains anymore. We're good behind the sticks. Okay. We don't want to be in a two-minute drill the entire forward. time. Moving yeah. forward. We're moving forward. Okay. Well, here's what we'll do. We'll throw some ideas out in like a Twitter poll and see what yeah. the, the people think. And then we'll come back yeah. next week with a, a different name. we got a few more topics to get to today before we get out of here. Um, Senior Bowl. You guys are both covering the Senior Bowl. John, you were over there. Urban and Trent Balky were not over there, but you were over there. And uh, a lot of Jaguars scouts obviously were involved over there this week. Uh, Bucky, you were covering on television from that room you're in right now, I think. Yeah. Right? On yeah. an NFL network. Just at a different angle. That Just had to be different, different right? I mean, how different <laughs> is that when you're covering it, but you're not even there? Uh, it, it, it was a lot different. But I will say this, JP, I was a lot warmer. I didn't have to worry about what's the daily weather report going to be like. I just clicked on the light, turned on the monitor, and I was able to watch practice. It looked like it was pretty, though. Like, the weather looked like it was nice. Um, The new stadium Mm -hmm. that they played in, man, nice. That was a nice stadium. So, it was cool. I mean, it it was good to see. I'm actually excited that they were able to get it done because I was one of those that I couldn't imagine how they were going to make it happen with all the NFL personnel coming in, all of the players coming from all over the country. But they were, they, they were able to do it, and to do it without a hitch, it was pretty good. John, that new stadium. Yeah, tell you how nice. they did it, JP. Yeah, yeah, and a few thoughts, because I come at it from a different angle. When we go to the Senior Bowl, JP, as you know, we are there and we talk to some of the college players. But we're really not watching that event the same way maybe Bucky is. It, it's why it's so important to have Bucky, you know, 
involved with because he's watching players. He's breaking down film. He's watching these guys in the field. When we're there, we're pursuing Jaguar stories. So most of what I did at Senior Bowl, as you know, JP, talk to people about the Jaguars, try to talk to some uh, scouts, yeah. people who understand the game and, can, and, and provide that insight. Most years we wind up talking to Bucky over there. You, you know, so mm-hmm. he'd been that's, up, that's true. I just logged off. <laughs> John's trying for to figure out insider, his technology for this podcast. Insider tip, I just almost logged off. So, um, <laughs> But I can tell you why it worked. Because the NFL people involved were committed to making it work. And what I mean by that is, for fans who've never been there, the Senior Bowl is what I call a garb fest. Meaning, <laughs> you can't walk down the streets of Mobile and not see people in their NFL garb. And I'm talking from the time you wake up, anytime they're not at practice, you're, you're seeing them on the streets of Mobile. We all know because we've been there. You see them out at night. If you're eating, you see them hanging out. It is a convention, and there's a couple of night spots that I've never been to. JP, I think, has been to a couple of I, I don't know what you're but, talking about. <laughs> yeah, but you go in there most years, it is packed. Credit to the NFL. Credit to the coaches involved. I was there two nights, and it was eerie, guys, to see that place. I walked down to the establishment, Veets, which is the most popular place. Uh, I, I went down to the establishment in, in my hotel, and it, w- it was vacant. There was not, so these guys stayed distanced. They were not tempted, whatever it was. So I think it was one positive test out of 3,000 mm-hmm. tests that they gave last week. So the NFL and the people involved did it right. That's how it worked. And uh, the only drawback I would see, and this is purely from you guys both know me, if it's good for me, it's good for me. Um, the, the, the drive out to the new stadium is a hike now. Yes, this is, is not Lad yes. People's where you sort of go over there and if forced, you can get a quick Uber. You know, you're driving out to South Alabama, which I didn't love. But really, JP, you cannot build a, an event around my laziness. The old shell road in university is not close to downtown, John, and the do drop in is on the way. They have a great cheeseburger, by the way, for next year. Yeah. yeah but it's a great event. And I'm with Bucky. It, I'd get his thoughts on this. Cause we talked a little bit last week, Buck, after I got back the, the, uh, the theme you heard last week from everybody involved, and it, it turned into almost a cliche was how important the senior bowl is this year, because it's the only event, but it really is the only event. And it's a football event, and they were able to pull it off. I had one analyst tell me last week he, he would not be surprised if every senior bowl player got drafted this year. And he was probably exaggerating, but the point was there's going to be a familiarity with these guys mm-hmm. and, and GMs who were, who were wanting not to make a mistake in this COVID time. They, they may lean on guys that they've had their hands on, so to speak. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. Uh, John, because the familiarity being around those guys, seeing those guys on the field, um, it makes it different. Without the combine, limited pro days, and no access to private workouts, the Senior Bowl was the last time that you saw these guys run on the grass doing football stuff. And so that will weigh, that lasting impression will really weigh heavily in the minds of evaluators when they have to make some of these tough decisions because it's an uneven playing field. Some guys played, other guys didn't. How do you juggle it? 
those guys that you were able to see at the senior bowl, even those that were coming off COVID opt-outs, they will have a bit of an advantage because it's the last time that you saw a ball and those guys were the ones that are in mind. How much is the fact, Buck, that, you know, I'm sorry, JP, I interrupted you, but the fact that the scouts weren't out, you've scouted, you've been the frontline guy before. Scouts weren't on campus at all this year. Is that going to change things dramatically? Is there any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a, a significant deal. Um, because you weren't able to get on campus, unless you have like a Rolodex of contacts where you can really figure out and piece together the background on all the prospects, it makes it very, very difficult. And because now more than ever, you need to know exactly who you're bringing into your locker room, understand how they fit the culture that you're attempting to build, understand uh, how they learn and their coachability. You really have to have like a wealth of contacts and experience. And this this year will be the year where you see kind of the difference between the have the haves and the have nots when it comes to the evaluators. If you have a staff full of evaluators, guys who understand how to look at the tape and project how players can play um, versus information gatherers, I think you have a huge advantage because you don't have the opportunity to do some of the other stuff that we've always done to kind of figure it out and to help us get it right at the end. So I got a quick question about scouting and we got a couple other topics. This is Jaguars happy hour. could be the last day. It's called that. We'll get to that a little later. Twitter poll coming up. What, what do you gather when you're scouting a football game in the stadium that you don't get when you're sitting at home watching tape? Why, why is being at a game so important? Well, it's really important when it comes to quarterbacks. That's the most important position that you must scout live. Uh, A couple of things. When I go scout a quarterback live, I want to see the arm talent. I want to get a feel for how strong your quarterback's arm is. Can he throw it through inclement conditions? Can he cut through the wind? It's different down in Jacksonville because we know eight games a year should be fairly nice when it comes to the weather and those things. But if you have to go on the road, if you have to play in Cleveland, if you have to play in New England or Buffalo, is your quarterback, does he have enough arm strength to be able to fit it in? The other thing with quarterbacks, you want to see how they interact with coaches and players. Years ago, I forgot what bowl game it was, but down in Birmingham, Paxton Lynch, when I went to see him in a bowl game, he sat at one end and the rest of the team was all the way on the other. <laughs> right. And he never really talked to the coaches. He didn't really interact with his teammates. And so for the quarterback who is expected to be, after the GM and the head coach, he's the most in- important person on your team. He has to be able to engage. What's his body language like? How does he act after good plays, after bad plays? Does he appear to be a communicator with his coaches and teammates? Those things matter. For other guys, it's still some of the same stuff. How are they? Are they into the game? Are they not into the game? Are they aloof with their attitudes? But seeing players live, particularly quarterbacks, is really important. And most teams, they won't let you put a, a final grade in on a quarterback unless you've actually seen him in action live. Yeah. That was the 2015 Birmingham Bowl, by the way. Auburn oh, yeah. beat Memphis at Legion Field in Birmingham. Probably beat him to sleep too. He did not have <laughs> he did not have a great <laughs> bad, bad day at the office. <laughs> he did not have a he did not have a good look. He he was he was kind of sulking and pouting. It, it wasn't a good look. I just remember I just remember writing. This is not a good look for Paxton Lynch. <laughs> 
Quick reminder, head coach Urban Meyer is locked in and ready to deliver a championship to Northeast Florida. Don't miss your chance to be at the bank this fall and watch history in the making. Lock in your tickets for the 2021 season. Place a deposit now at Jaguars.com. Limited lower bowl tickets remain. If you have questions, call 904-633-2000 and learn more. And let's go Jaguars. This Jaguars happy hour. The NFL quarterback carousel has already started to spin and is going really fast already. Oh, my goodness, the trade, the Rams and the Lions. What in the world, Bucky? And we're only just beginning this thing. Well, uh, I think, JP, what you're seeing is the importance of making sure that you have a quarterback. Now, personally, I'm going to say this is the Pat Mahomes effect. I think what you're seeing is if you're on a team and you're looking at your quarterback and you're – trying to envision your quarterback engaging in a shootout with the Kansas City Chiefs, is your quarterback good enough to knock off Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs? And if it's not, you have to think, what do we have to do to put ourselves in a position to knock them off? And unfortunately for us, we're in the AFC. So the gatekeeper to the Super Bowl will always be Pat Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. So as you're building out your team, you look at not only Pat Mahomes, but Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, so many young quarterbacks that are able to play and play at a high level, you have to have a quarterback that can do it. In L.A. and Detroit, I think this is a situation where you have Sean McVay, who was anointed as the offensive whiz kid. The plays looked great the first two years when they were in the league. They were the talk of the town. They revolutionized the way that we were going to think about offensive football. And then the funny thing happens, that happens in the league. The league catches up. And then the X's and O's, they didn't pop and come to life like they used to. And so, like most kids, he threw that toy away, and he went and opened up a new toy in Matthew Stafford. And so it's very much like Christmas, where you get rid of all the old toys and you bring in a new one. And so he happened to get a new toy in Matthew Stafford, mm. while the Rams decided that, who needs to draft for the next four or five years? We'll just go get all the stars, and we'll rock with it. So we'll see how it plays out. This is a, it's gonna be a case study, and team building in the next decade. Can you win without draft picks? Well, it's absolutely a case study, and it's a little bit different. The Jalen Ramsey trade to me uh, made a little made a little more sense on the Rams' part from a long-term point of view because they were trading for him. I forget how old Jalen was, uh, 23, 24 at the time. Yeah, that's right. So you were giving up to what they – thought would be late round picks. I mean, not late first round picks for a player that, you know, you pretty much knew what you were getting in Jalen. Uh, some of that's great JP. Some of that's, yeah. You know, okay. You're, but, you're, um, get, you're getting all it, of it though. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You're getting, yeah. It, it's a, it's a full glass, but um, so, but you knew exactly what you were getting and barring injury, you knew what level he was going to play at. Stafford's a little bit different because of age. You know, uh, I get why they did it. Bucky's exactly right. You must have a quarterback. And for them, they, they believe they're a quarterback away. But a little older, um, a little less of a knowledge of exactly what you're getting. I mean, he has played at a high level statistically. He's played at a high level at times. Hasn't gotten the team over the top. So, you know, can he do that? Is he that guy? Certainly worth the gamble, had to make the gamble, but not as much of a sure thing as the Ramsey trade. 
quarterback, of course, trumps all else in this league. You make moves like this when you feel like you've got a shot at a franchise quarterback. You're you're willing to gamble and give up much more when it's the quarterback position. Yeah, John, I, I think it's interesting because um, this is a team when it comes to the first round picks. And, and I get this from Charlie Cassidy. Charlie Cassidy says that first round picks hit at about a 50 percent rate in terms of guys being a successful and productive starter at the end of four years. And if we even look at our, our own experience down in Jacksonville, where we've had a ton of top 10 picks, how many of those it guys? Ain't 50%. No, yeah. far from <laughs> right. it. Right. So how many of those guys actually turned into players? And so it's almost like playing, let's make a deal. Like what's behind door number one, two, or three, and what do you want? Sometimes it's better to take the players. And I think as we take it back to Jacksonville, I wonder when it comes time to it with Urban, is Urban like one of those who leans towards stars or does he feel like a collection of good players can get you over the top? That is the difference in the college game where you have a bunch of five stars. It's easy to hand it off to Ezekiel Elliott and all those guys, Michael Thomas and whatever. But if you don't have that, can you play with some two and three stars and have a level of success? I wonder what, he will lean towards coming out of that collegiate background. I could see Bucky dressed for let's make a deal in like a beer barrel or <laughs> hey, whatever like, a, like a chef or something, you know, Monty Hall calls on him. Yeah, whatever I could see that. Whatever it takes. I mean, that does. <laughs> Wayne, Wayne Brady. I'm <laughs> right, ready. Yeah, right. I'm ready. When we sing a song, let's do it. What's, what's my talent? I'm absolutely ready. Love it. Love it. Uh, all right. Final thoughts here. We've got uh, three minutes left before Zoom kicks us off. So Super Bowl 55 right around the corner in Tampa Bay Sunday. The Bucks, the first team to play in their home stadium for a Super Bowl facing the defending champion Chiefs who can't even get a haircut without COVID knocking guys off at least early in the week. Uh, Demarcus Robinson and Daniel Kilgore are on the list this week. Uh, Tom Brady's been alone watching film at home. It'll be 12 days. Giselle and the kids have been out of there. <laughs> Bucky, who do you like? I like the Kansas City Chiefs in this one because I think ultimately it comes down to the talent and the speed of the Kansas City Chiefs. They won, what, 25 out of their last 26. Pat Mahomes is 38 and 8 as a starter. Um, when they're rolling, I, I don't know how you I, I don't know how you contain them. And so I just think their firepower and the fact that the last time they played, Tyreek Hill went for 200-plus yards in one quarter. Um, I think that's scary. And I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers would try and play like a, a little slow-down basketball. But if this game breaks into a, a, a fast-break game, I don't think they can compete. And so I, I just have to go to Kansas City Chiefs. They, the Bucs would have to prove to me that they can knock them off because the Chiefs have just been too good. How about it, John? Yeah, I agree with Bucky. And um, Kansas City wins it. And it's fascinating to me. I, I love the history of the game. Uh, the Chiefs, all of a sudden, very quickly, have a chance to you know, repeat, which is it's almost been lost this year. Maybe it's because of COVID. Maybe it's because everything else is going on. But this is a franchise now. Remember when Elway went from the guy who could never win the big one to all of a sudden an all-time great yeah. because he won two at the end of his career? All of a sudden, Andy Reid, if he wins this, you know, he was always the guy who was the greatest coach who hadn't. When all of a sudden, if he wins back-to-back, I, I get that it's a Mahomes story, and Mahomes is going to be set up to be an all-time great 
he's on his way there. Yeah. But all of a sudden, this Chiefs team, 25-26, like Bucky said, you're talking some stratospheric numbers historically that there's really no sign they're going to stop. They may be playing their way into some of the conversations that really only a few elite teams have had. So, I mean, they got to win it, obviously. Right. But I think they win it. And in, I think all of a sudden, in a few years, we're looking back on this uh, on this time as, you know, a time that maybe we didn't appreciate when it was going on historically. It's got a chance to be historic, this franchise. I think this game is close until the Chiefs pull away with all those weapons. I, I'm not counting Tom Brady out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, you never do that. Uh, and, but I think in the fourth quarter, the speed and everything will take over for Kansas City and the Chiefs. I think Chiefs by 10. At the okay. End of the day. That's cool. I, I think the score that I put out there was maybe 38-24. Um, I think it's one of those games that's in, entertaining because I, yeah. I think it's a back-and-forth game. And much like last year, Kansas City didn't play well in the Super Bowl, then, oh, in the fourth quarter, old Pat Mahomes and those guys decided to get <laughs> I don't know if we have time, but we got a minute. We got a minute. Could the Bucks slow it down? A la yes. the Patriots against the Rams in 01. Remember that? Yeah. You know, I know it's a different era, but it almost seems like they may be able to pull that kind of thing off with Brady. I think they can. I think if they follow the blueprint that the Buffalo Bills used in week six, where they dare the Kansas City Chiefs to run the ball as much as they can and then play really good red zone defense. I think that's the way that you have to play them. You cannot let the ball go over the top of the defense. They are the Golden State Warriors of the NFL. Don't let Steph Curry hit any three-pointers because it excites the building. Make them shoot layups and all that other stuff. They can have all the layups and dunks they want, but don't let them shoot threes because that's the quickest way to get blown out of the building. Bucky Brooks, John Osier, I'm J.P. Shadrick. This is Jaguars Happy Hour. We'll see what it's called next week, but thanks, guys. We'll talk to you then. Thanks, J.P.